Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And as much as I dislike it, we are going to dive at least a little bit into the wild world of 2020 U.S. politics today. And we are going to do that because this platform, the one on which you are watching this video, unless you're listening to it as a podcast, has decided that it is going to take some special steps to really prevent folks from talking about the U.S. presidential election as of today. And so I put up on your screen a tweet that I saw this morning that immediately was something that I wanted to talk about that said the following from Team YouTube. Yesterday was the safe harbor deadline and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president-elect. This means the 2020 U.S. presidential election is now a quote-unquote past election under our policies, Read how this is being enforced at the following link, which, of course, we will look at as part of this video. We'll also talk about the capital S, capital H safe harbor concept and why it's a little bit unusual that that was the specific deadline YouTube has decided to enforce in this particular context. But before we do, let's talk about what YouTube actually put out there on that link. So this is actually a link to a page called Spam, Deceptive Practices, and Scams policies. Before we get into the substance here, I do want to say a few things. Virtual legality, not generally a political space. You'll hear me talking about Supreme Court decisions, how much I dislike certain justices of the Supreme Court and how they fail to think through their legal ramifications of their arguments. But for the most part, we're staying out of politics. We're talking about things generally. We are talking about the way that tech platforms like YouTube operate. YouTube is a private company. It is not the government. It is not beholden to the First Amendment, which says in the United States that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, or in this case, press, where you're publishing something. And YouTube doesn't have to abide by that. That being said, YouTube and Facebook and Twitch and Twitter in general find it useful to tell the American people that they're in favor of freedom of speech, of openness of debate, because in the United States, in our DNA, generally speaking, that has been something that historically the people of America have decided is a good thing. And so YouTube finds it useful to say that they are backing those kinds of philosophies, even if they aren't legally bound to them. So YouTube is allowed to do everything that we are talking about today. We will not begrudge them that here in virtual legality, but we will comment on the fact that it does present issues of ambiguity. It is going to quash speech on their platform. And from a person like me that likes to have conversations that are sometimes in this gray area where somebody could construe it as political, could construe it as something that they don't like to hear, this tends to bother me as someone that has put a lot of time into the platform and into growing his channel. So let's see what, in fact, they said. On December 9th, that's today, we started applying our presidential election integrity policy below to the 2020 U.S. presidential election, meaning we remove content that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election uploaded on or after December 9th. Now, I'm pretty sure this video won't be seen as alleging widespread fraud or errors, but you never know. So we'll see after this video goes up. It's obviously going up on or after December 9th. And I won't be monetizing this video because I don't trust YouTube to make that judgment call with just its monetization algorithm. So share it around if you think it's interesting. As we ramp up our enforcement, we will remove violative videos without giving a strike. We will begin 
issuing strikes for new content uploaded after Inauguration Day, January 20th, 2021. So if you aren't familiar with the YouTube ecosystem, chances are you are if you're watching this video, but strikes are the, the nuclear option for YouTube. If you collect three of those, they can just kill your channel. It goes away. Whatever hundreds of thousands of hours you have spent trying to build up a subscriber base, trying to make a living on this platform, that's gone. And YouTube really is allowed to do it under the contract that you sign with them, but you don't have to like it. We can have videos like this one where we say, hmm. I'm really not sure that merely alleging, let's say, an allegation of errors that could have changed an outcome of the presidential election, I, I'm not sure that really rises to the level that we would ordinarily think of as spam or deceptive practices. And if, in fact, you think that language alleging widespread fraud or errors is a little bit broad, even for YouTube, you're not wrong. Because if we actually scroll down this particular website, we'll see that this green box, which is the first one people will see, is highlighted for people to interpret, doesn't actually match the language of their policy. If we go down to that policy that they directed us to about presidential election integrity, it says content that advances false claims that widespread fraud, errors, or glitches, adding glitches here, change the outcome of any past U.S. presidential election. Note this applies to elections in the United States only, which is wild. Why in the world would YouTube have a policy that says it is a violation of its own rules to advance any false claim, which seems legitimate if you're advancing a false claim that you know to be false, that's a bad thing. If you advance a false claim, it's bad on YouTube only if you're talking about a U.S. presidential election. And not only that, it's any past U.S. presidential election. Are we allowed to talk about Nixon and Kennedy? Are we allowed to talk about Jefferson and Burr? Are we allowed to talk about anything that happened in the past where there are very interesting historical accounts of closed door threats and conversations and secretary of state appointments and convincing electors to try to do things. There are great conversations to be had on these kinds of things. And if you're a historian, or if you just like reading historical accounts, these are things that are useful to have out there on an educational basis. But it only applies to the United States. I don't know what that is intended to be aimed at. YouTube is okay with claims of fraud in general for jurisdictions outside the United States, but the United States is above board. The United States couldn't possibly make the same mistakes as any other jurisdiction in the world. Or more specifically, the weird part about this particular rule is that it's aimed only at false claims. So why is this parenthetical necessary at all? Is YouTube okay with false claims in other jurisdictions? If you go and you say something about an election in Britain and it's false and you know it to be false, YouTube's okay with that, but it's not okay with doing the same thing in the United States. It's very odd stuff. And more importantly, the reason we got down here is that advancing a false claim, I think we can all agree if you know it's false, that's a bad thing. We see all sorts of garbage on this platform. YouTube is a private actor. They have every incentive to get rid of that garbage. We don't begrudge them that. But when you put in your actual bubble that you will remove slash strike things that just allege, not just fraud, which is a higher standard when we talk about legality, you actually have to establish that people conspired and did bad things intentionally to establish fraud. But just alleging errors is going to be enough to get you a strike on this platform, only if you're talking about the U.S., not if you're talking about Britain or Spain or France or anywhere else, then that strikes me as something that's overly draconian and potentially problematic. 
That's not helped when we see YouTube actually dive in to its justification for all this. So this actual policy links to another policy, which is in an article on their blog called Supporting the 2020 U.S. Election by the YouTube team. Always interesting when we get anonymity here, right? It's from YouTube. They're standing behind it as a company. We're not getting authors here. That always strikes you as, hmm, nobody's willing to actually author this. That's going to be an open question for where the actual writers of this document are coming from, but we'll see where that is in short order. Over the past weeks and months, we've seen people coming to YouTube to learn more about where and how to vote or learning more about a candidate or an issue. It's great. More information is always better. We stand behind that in virtual legality. We've seen news organizations grow their audience, and we've seen people turn to YouTube for the latest election results or simply to follow a historic event with the highest voting turnout in over a century in the U.S. Keep in mind that highest voting turnout concept. Our main goal going into the election season was to make sure we're connecting people with authoritative information. That's the only real sentence that they give here. There's another comma and a parenthetical phrase, which we will read in a second, but it's worth noting. We've done videos about this on YouTube in the past. YouTube has taken upon itself to determine that X, Y, or Z creator, your ABC news is your CNN, even your Fox news of the world are quote unquote authoritative in a way that even experts in the field that just go out with a YouTube channel, but not a news organization behind them are not in YouTube's algorithm. And they did that to try to quash what they consider to be misinformation. But it has this deleterious effect on the actual exchange of ideas on the platform. And it winds up in this situation where the kind of dark YouTube, the underworld of conspiracy theories and crazy videos, in my opinion, winds up getting highlighted specifically because YouTube is trying to keep it down. And we'll see that actually articulated in this blog post. They were trying to connect people with this quote-unquote authoritative information while also limiting the reach of misinformation as determined by itself and removing quote-unquote harmful content. Our community guidelines prohibit spam scams or other manipulated media, coordinated influence operations, and any content that seeks to incite violence. That's an interesting start to this section of the post, right? I think most people can, even though there's ambiguity here, Get behind the overall concept of we don't like scams, we don't like things that incite violence, even coordinated influence operations, a little ambiguous, I don't love that terminology. We can generally get behind if there's a falsity, if there's a false front. We don't love that on what should be these personal experiences on YouTube and these video sharing platforms. So they start out with this. You'll note this has absolutely nothing to do with US elections, not usually how we would think about it. So they actually start this paragraph by by trying to set you up from an emotional standpoint, saying, yeah, you agree with most of the stuff that we do here. And you say, yeah, okay, I do. We also do this other thing. We also work to make sure that the line between what is removed and what is allowed is drawn in the right place. Okay. Our policies prohibit misleading viewers about where and how to vote. That's an easy one. That is a quantifiable kind of set of facts and circumstances that is either true or false. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, if there's somebody is just lying and says you should go to this gym when that gym's not actually a voting place, okay, we can get behind that. That's easy to prove and easy to disprove. We also disallow content alleging. Now, no, here comes that alleging again in that blog post. We see alleging in the green bubble. We don't see alleging here in the presidential election integrity advances false claims, not just alleging. We allow, we also disallow content alleging widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of a historical U.S. presidential election. 
And note the breadth of this. We already talked about this when we were mentioning other elections, but historians have long looked at these kinds of things. We can expect in the next four or five years, data analytics, big historians to write articles, to write maybe even books about what happened in 2020, not necessarily because there were widespread fraud or errors that changed the outcome, but because this was such an unusual election, because you do have the highest number of votes ever cast in a U.S. presidential election, that the bulk of those, or at least the bulk more than usual, were cast by absentee ballot or by mail-in voting. There is a lot to analyze here. However, as YouTube continues, in some cases, that has meant allowing controversial views on the outcome or process of counting votes of a current election as election officials have worked to finalize counts. I'm not clear as to what the however means there. We disallow content alleging widespread fraud or errors, change the outcome of a historical election, but we have until now, until today, allowed controversial views on the outcome or process of counting votes. In all honesty, I don't see any objection to having controversial views. As we've talked about in this space, if a bad idea is presented, shout it down with good ideas, shout it down with better facts. Controversial views should be what debate is about, what this conversation is about. And the obviously conspiratorial and idiotic videos on either side of the spectrum on these kinds of topics will be obvious. Yesterday was the safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president-elect. We see this mirrored in the tweet, right? Given that, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or any time after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election in line with our approach towards historical U.S. presidential elections. Now, I said I would talk about the safe harbor date. What's interesting here is that this is the date where they are establishing that Biden versus Trump is now historical. And they are doing this because the safe harbor deadline has passed. The safe harbor deadline is a weird bit of electoral law from the 19th century that basically says if the states get their certified results to Congress before yesterday, December 8th, then Congress has to assume that they are accurate, give or take. And I'm skipping so much election law. If you're an election lawyer, please don't come into my comments. I know. But for purposes of this YouTube commentary, they are trying to say that since that safe harbor date has passed and enough states have certified their votes that their electors are going to be sent to Congress, that the the elector votes are going to be sent to Congress, Congress is going to have to accept them, that this election can be considered done. What's odd about that, and I wrote here in a tweet that the policy here is draconian enough, strikes is crazy for this kind of stuff, but why pick the 19th century certification safe harbor date rather than the elector voting date when the election actually occurs? Oddness all around. If you aren't familiar with the U.S. way of casting votes in a presidential election, the states vote for electors, that's the electoral college, and then they vote on a specific date or as the actual Congress has put forth the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December, because statutes can never be written easily. And so we get language like this, but suffice it to say for this purpose, it means that the people that actually vote for president in the United States vote on December 14th. So just kind of on the margins here, picking the safe Harbor deadline is a very weird date to pick. 
because you can have faithless electors. You can have things that are a problem in the Electoral College, not in the recent past, but certainly in the history of the United States. Those have been big fights. That's why the safe harbor deadline was put into law was because of other fights that had to do with certification of state voting and the Electoral College and various things that relate there too. So it seems to me like if YouTube is going to set a date when the election for president actually occurred, it should be the date when the electors vote for the president. But they seem very eager to get this date out there and to start killing some of these election videos. And I don't really fully understand why, except that they want them off their platform, which again is their right to do, but it's my right to criticize them for the actions that they take in pursuing that right. For example... We will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election due to widespread software glitches or counting errors. We will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the weeks to come. As always, news coverage and commentary on these issues can remain on our site if there's sufficient education, documentary, scientific, or artistic context. I would hope that virtual legality presents educational context, informational context on these various things, but I'm certainly not an authoritative source as far as YouTube is concerned. And so you get these kinds of rules and you wind up in this weird nebulous place where you say, look, I don't want to allege widespread fraud or error or glitches, but I think it's enormously useful to the democratic process to have smart people analyzing these things and will be to have smart people analyzing these things in the years to come. There's a lot to look at with respect to mail, with respect to absentee ballots. And I don't think that a state electoral commission or even a secretary of state or even this entire process means that that conversation should be over. You still have people talking about Bush v. Gore in 2000. And I think justifiably so. I think that conversation actually wound up improving Florida's ability to count its votes, how their entire election system has been operating really since 2000. And that was an improvement to really the bulk of the United States. And I would see that analysis continued across the states. Not to say that there is any change in the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, just to be very clear for the YouTube monitors that might be watching this video in the future. I'm not alleging those things. I am alleging that the conversation is useful even if YouTube doesn't want to have it. They continue on by talking about authoritative information. They say 88% of the videos and search results on elections came from these news sources, your ABC News, your USA Today. That's because the YouTube algorithm is doing it. And then amongst the rest are creator videos. So I fully expect this video to get squashed by the ABC Newses of the world. And that's fine with me because I want to get this information out there. But YouTube is already taking these steps. It will also continue to include a link to CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, explaining that states certify results after ensuring ballots are properly counted and correcting irregularities and errors. And I don't want to disparage anybody doing any of these jobs, but it is worth noting that human beings make mistakes and that in 2020, among all years, it is more likely that more mistakes happen than not. Did it change the election? I have no idea. I'm certainly not alleging that it did. But there was a lot of weirdness that went on in 2020, not just related to U.S. presidential elections or politics. And it's worth taking that context into account when people still want to have the conversation about how this has gone. 
Reasonable minded people can say that secretary of state or that election process or the way that court of appeals or that Supreme Court handled the issue was problematic in arriving at a final number of votes in that given state that there should be a better way to do it, that we should improve that process, that democracy depends on trusting not just that your vote was counted, but that three other fake votes weren't counted and that we all have to rely on that process. And so questioning it, iron sharpening iron, steel sharpening steel, whatever version of that you want to actually have out there is what needs to happen. You need to constantly be evaluating these systems and improving them. And actually, quote unquote, questioning the process is part of strengthening it. And that's what I would argue to YouTube if I were able to sit down with them and have this conversation. Looking at the recommendations, YouTube continues, one of the main ways our viewers find content, limiting the reach of borderline content and prominently surfacing authoritative information are important ways we protect people from problematic content that doesn't violate our community guidelines. So understand that. They have these community guidelines about spam and malicious activity and lies and all sorts of other guidelines. They want to make sure, and we've talked about this in prior videos, that we don't surface videos that present quote-unquote problematic, undefined content even when it doesn't violate our community guidelines. And that's an issue. Right, YouTube isn't defining any of this for you. So their algorithm is a black box. It does whatever it does. Maybe it quashes virtual legality conversations. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it promotes them. It really loves us. Who knows? Nobody does. And YouTube just reserves the right to do this even when they aren't violating the rules that they set for themselves. Over 70% of recommendations on election-related topics came from authoritative news sources. Despite these encouraging results, we recognize there's always more to do. For example, while problematic misinformation, again, undefined, represents a fraction of 1% of what's watched on YouTube in the US, we know we can bring that number down even more. And some videos, while not recommended prominently on YouTube, continue to get high views, sometimes coming from other sites, not our algorithm. That's a problem for us. That is a dangerous sentence. YouTube looking at potentially considering this and other new challenges to make ongoing improvements. Too many people are linking to YouTube from somewhere else. What kind of steps does a platform that thinks that is a problem take against outside links, take against outside platforms, take against people that aren't just watching videos through the YouTube algorithm? That's where you start to get into issues with the platform itself, a failure of trust, both at the content creator level, like virtual legality, and the content consumer level, like Richard Hogue. And so you start to get more and more issues, all for the benefit of not being able to say anything about a U.S. election that probably deserves to have a lot said about it. We understand the need for intense scrutiny on our elections-related work. Absolutely. Our teams work hard to ensure we are striking a balance between allowing for a broad range of political speech and making sure our platform isn't abused to incite real-world harm or broadly spread harmful misinformation. We welcome ongoing debate and discussion, objection, facts, not in evidence, and will keep engaging with experts, researchers, and organizations to ensure that our policies and products are meeting that goal. I'm happy to talk it through with you if you want you to. As always, we'll apply learnings from this election to our ongoing efforts to protect the integrity of elections around the world. Uh, integrity of elections around the world, of course, not applying to this specific integrity policy. This applies to elections in the United States only, but they want to get full credit for trying to protect democracy and elections across the world by aiming their weaponry solely at 
the U.S. election. Now, again, I don't want to make any allegations about the results of this election. I am 99.99% sure Joe Biden will be president of the United States come Inauguration Day in January of 2021, but it's still worthwhile to have the conversations about what happened in 2020 and whether or not the entire system can be improved. I've got up an article here from, what is it, the Philadelphia Inquirer that says Joe Biden won three of every four mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania. Trump won two of three votes cast in person. What does that mean for the future? And they have a wonderful article here that talks about the future of election law, changes to things like drop boxes, whether or not the vote counts were adjustable, whether or not people should be concerned about those things. And ultimately, they come to the conclusion that, you know, this is what happened because of the politics of the situation. If you've been in virtual legality for a while, you know that the way this was going was suggestive of a fact that Biden would win the mail-in vote, Trump would win the day of vote, and there could be potential issues when those two worlds clashed. And indeed, there were. But as part of this, it's worth noting that in 2020, you had all these mail-in votes, that the conservative stalwart journalistic group at the New York Times put out an article that said error and fraud are at issue as absentee voting rises. Now, of course, this article wasn't any time recently. It was in 2012. But in 2012, the New York Times was going out with language that said things like, while fraud in voting by mail is far less common than innocent errors, and I can certainly believe that, it is vastly more prevalent than the in-person voting fraud that has attracted far more attention, election administrators say. In Florida, absentee ballot scandals seem to arrive like clockwork around election time. Before this year's primary, for example, in 2012, a woman in Hylia was charged with forging an elderly voter signature, a felony, and possessing 31 completed absentee ballots, 29 more than allowed under a local law. It's weird that the local law allows for two completed absentee ballots, but we'll leave that to Florida. And you get in this article exactly what you would expect to see banned on YouTube now. Voting by mail is now common enough and problematic enough, there's that word again, that election experts say there have been multiple elections in which no one can say with confidence which candidate was the deserved winner. The list includes the 2000 presidential election. Now, is this the kind of thing that gets my video banned? That's a historic U.S. presidential election, right? But I'm reading from the New York Times, which would be an authoritative source. I I don't know, YouTube, you tell me. In which problems with absentee ballots in Florida were a little noticed footnote to other issues. And there's nothing wrong with this New York Times article. And there's nothing wrong with having the conversation at this level which says, wow, this was a wild election. 2020 was a wild year. Let's have videos that talk about that. Let's analyze the white papers from historians and data analytics firms. Let's do that in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 because that's interesting information that can improve democracy. The Washington Post says democracy dies in darkness and indeed it does. If we don't talk about these issues, then we get a worse election system. And so we want to talk about these issues. We want to consistently improve it. And yes, Joe Biden will be president. I am no stranger to looking at these issues and telling you in this space that that lawsuit was dumb, that the Trump team has brought up a bunch of specious arguments. And if there was an actual issue in any of these elections, this was basically the worst way to present any of these topics. And I presented that in a video in virtual legality. I want to have these conversations with you. I think they are useful. And when you get things like this on YouTube that says we will issue strikes if you allege any of these things, including errors, I have to look at this and say even the conversation is something that could result in a strike to your channel. And if I care about this channel, I have to walk with tiptoes 
around an issue that YouTube has created in a way that I don't think I should have to, but nevertheless do have to because of warnings like this one from YouTube. This has been Virtual Legality for today. As I said, I'm not going to monetize this video. I really don't want to incur the ire of the YouTube platform algorithm god. So if you like this, if you thought this was interesting, if you think it's a useful conversation for others to have, please do share it around. Like, subscribe, ring the bell. Tell people that we are here generally having a conversation about the law and business of pop culture, video games, music, movies, television, articles that you are otherwise reading that have a business and legal background that hopefully can help you understand the world around you and the various moves that these giant institutions are making on a regular basis. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.